Welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Frankie Preslav. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Thank you for joining us for a new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to WFHB.org. So if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes online via the WFHB website. Each and every week, we produce a show by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and ally community. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and lasting events reflecting the LGBTQ plus life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world. Our stories focus on topics both at home and abroad. Tonight, we'll be doing a little bit something different as we are having a roundtable discussion following the events of the Florida school shooting occurring yesterday. We're lucky enough to have four guests with us tonight. We have Rachel uh, Guliamu. She is the leader of the Indiana Chapter of Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. She has three school-aged children and have, has been volunteering with the organization since after it was founded in 2012, the day after the Sandy Hook shooting. Additionally, we have Courtney Daly. Courtney is a mother to three boys and also teaches at St. Mark's Nursery School and Kindergarten, who uh, became active with Moms Demand Action in 2014. She is also the leader of the Moms Demand Action Bloomington Chapter. We additionally have Dee Dee Curler. Uh, she is a career educator and director at the Gan Shalom Preschool since 2001 and education director of the Congregation Beth Shalom since 2012. And finally, we have Amy Mackis, who is a licensed therapist and director of the Bloomington Center for Connection. Based in uh, relational cultural therapy, the Bloomington Center for Connection uh, promotes uh, social change through connection, leveraging strength of relationships to promote individual and societal well-being. Amy has written on the use of relational cultural therapy concepts to ameliorate bullying of LGBTQ plus students. Uh, we first want to open up tonight with actually a social media post that came in after the wake of uh, the shooting. Uh, an individual had posted that uh, a statement that might be somewhat inflammatory to some individuals. It reads, don't tell me it's a gun control issue. Don't even hint that's an NRA or Trump that is causing this. This this is a mental health issue that is not being addressed in America. We all had bullies in school. We had weird, quote-unquote, kids. 
but they didn't uh, gun down other students. This is directly related to a combination of mental health, poor parenting, and the uh, blank, blank, the blank, <laughs> blank of the nation. When our children don't know that uh, know what bathroom to use and are offended by everything that they see, that they are exonerated in, from their actions because they can blame it on others. That in itself is the problem. Murder is illegal. Drugs are illegal, yet they still happen. Calling for stronger gun laws isn't the answer. It isn't the gun. Start by holding the perpetrator responsible and the system that failed them. And I want to point out, when I shared this with the rest of the cohort, the the, the folks here, there was 147,000 likes on it and um, just about as many shares. So this is something that mainstream America is kind of throwing around, you know, social media media right now. And it kind of just shows you kind of the, the you know, the division of how people think about um, what's going on and, and taking the blame away from the NRA and taking the blame away from the president and Congress and throwing it back onto our backs, the, the communities, which in some cases, yes, it is all of our responsibility to try to keep our kids safe. But how do we do this? So I want to basically just open the mic up um, with this statement and, 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 you know, and please say your name when you, when you first kind of uh, start so the listeners will know who, who's talking. And, and I also want to say thank you, thank you for coming uh, to the studio on such short notice. We got this together in no time. And thanks to Alex for being very patient with me <laughs> as we were doing this. So um, who would like to kind of start off? I'd be happy to jump in. This is Rachel speaking. Um, the statement is, quite frankly, nonsense. Um, it's just not borne out by the facts. Um, every country has mental health issues. No other country has the same gun violence issue that we have. Um, it's as simple as that. It's just... The- um, I'd like just to add that um, I've lived in two other countries. I've lived in Israel for nine years, and I've lived in England for 17 years, both of which have very, very strict uh, gun laws. In Israel, they actually take guns away from any soldier that they feel might be a threat to himself. Uh, they have very strict gun laws in a country that is constantly um, fighting. So the, in England, there are no guns. There are no handguns. There's no gun violence there. So this is a a nonsense statement. It's shirking responsibility. Um, They've misused and abused the Second Amendment totally. Um, This is Courtney. Um, Yeah, and going to what you said about misusing uh, and abusing the Second Amendment, there, there need to be some restrictions on the Second Amendment. We have restrictions on other amendments, and it's, it's a nonsense argument to say that it is as it is written and you cannot infringe upon our rights because this is the most dangerous amendment because we're talking about killing weapons. And so, of course, there need to be restrictions on it. And it's all about common sense. I mean, that's just nobody's saying we need to take them away, but we're saying we need to have some common sense where these deadly weapons are concerned and let's have a conversation about that. This is Amy speaking. And um, I've been thinking all day about one of the main ideas of relational cultural thinking, which is to listen as though you might be wrong. And I've been trying to 
apply it to this situation. And I thought I was doing okay at it until you read that um, <laughs> statement because that was really hard to listen to. Um, but I hear so much fear. And I know that that, when I'm quiet and I feel what's going on in me when I hear this news and I think about my children going out into the world, that it's fear. I'm scared for my kids. And I know that this woman has children in her life and she's scared for them too. And and she's blaming what she doesn't know instead of the things that she's familiar with. And I just, I want to find some way to listen so that we can get through this outer layer of hatred and and fear and then get down to what really matters absolutely and this is uh alex <laughs> on the mic um one thing that really struck me about this entire incident is sort of the f- sense of familiarity which is so completely and utterly um unfortunate at the end of the day um when I saw the news, I, I immediately kind of thought back to Sandy Hook um, and sort of both the fear and frustration of those situations. And I think at the moment, uh, we as a nation and bo- as a community and Frankie and our lovely guests, you know, their parents and people who have loved ones who get on that school bus every day. And I Frankly, I, I, I believe that that's probably every parent's greatest fear is the idea that my children's getting on that bus. What if I don't see them come home? And so I I think the extreme reactions from basically all sides are in a certain sense predictable. But the question now is, now that this has happened, where do we start? Where, how do we actually have a conversation that is able to look and provide possible solutions that all parties can be happy with, or at least to a point feel that their rights and safety is being respected? And it's kind of opened up to whoever. Look, I mean, the, the perspective of Moms Demand Action is uh, a common sense perspective, and it is a perspective that is widely shared within the U.S. population. I think it's a bit of a, a fallacy uh, that there that we are as divided on this issue as we are. Sure, you have some inflammatory um, posts like that, and social media tends to amplify that type of sentiment. But the fact is that large majorities of Americans support the common sense solutions that we are, as an organization, are supporting, like background checks, like uh, So I guess how do we bring this, the large majority? Because when you listen to the media talking and you actually have conversations with a lot of people, I don't always hear that. What I hear is more of the vision that, yeah, we want to do something to keep our kids safe, but I'm not willing to give up what I feel are my rights. However, um, the majority of even NRA members do support common sense measures. I think it's something 85% was the number that I heard. They'll, they will say, yes, they support background checks and they support common sense measures that we have talked about for a very long time. It is the NRA leadership that they like to sow these seeds of divisiveness that it, we see coming from when they have their inflammatory NRA TV and they're 
posting videos of their spokesperson pitting us against them and literally talking about the they, meaning the people who are not part of the NRA. And and that's where I see a lot of frightening stuff. So around. have any of you had the opportunity to kind of sit down with the opposing views and have those conversations where it's actually meaningful, like a workshop? Um, you have. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Many times. Well, as Moms Demand Action members. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about Moms Demand Action? Sure. We, we started the day after Sandy Hook um, mm-hmm. by a distraught mom in Indiana, actually, who felt that it was no longer possible for her to sit back and not do anything, that it was not up to somebody else to do it. She needed to do it herself. So she started to organize. She started a Facebook page. People joined her Facebook page from all over the country. There was this outpouring of grief and anger and outrage that something like what we're feeling today. Um, and we started organizing and we started taking it off of Facebook and, you know, step by step, we have grown. We have refused to accept defeat when the background check initiative uh, after Sandy Hook failed. We didn't go away. We're not going away. We now have 50 chapters in all 50 states. We have over 4 million members, and we're not going home on this. Um, and to answer your earlier question, you know, that's the answer. It's on us. It's on all of us as individuals who have been perhaps eschewing these conversations because they're uncomfortable or because we don't really want to get into it with family members or friends who might have opposing opinions. No, that we are the adults, uh, and this is about protecting our children. Our children are getting shot at school. It is time for us to stand up and oppose this hateful narrative, this violent narrative that is destroying our country. I think we can also listen to some of the mayors and some of the chiefs of police who are opposed, for instance, to the concealed carry reciprocity law. Um, they're outraged by it, but yet we have some of the our representatives pushing this this law through. And and the mayors of big cities of Baltimore, New York, and Chicago, they don't want to see this law passed. They, they claim it will be a nightmare for them. Um, because there are different states with different uh, standards. Mm-hmm. And that's a real problem when you have one state that has very strict gun laws, gun control laws, and background che- checks without loopholes. And then you have another state that you can go out and buy a gun and there's no problem and you do, there's no concealed carry law. Right. So these we need to be listening to to law enforcement. We need to be listening to some of the mayors. The sheriff here gave him an amazing talk, and he himself is totally for common-sense gun laws. So how do we bring everybody to the same room so we can at least get onto the same page? We're all in the same book, but how do we you know, find page one and start from there and have that conversation? Because getting the people in Washington – and you know, and, and then our, our guys up in Indianapolis as well, our state legislators, to 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 hear the concern. I don't know, you know, personally as a parent, as a human being, um, you know, here on Earth, you know, just one school massacre was enough. Or eighteen, you know, I think you read thirteen. I saw mm-hmm. eighteen this year alone. So uh, w- enough. Where where do we go, and how do we bring you know the folks together? And what are your solutions that you see that we can? Because you know that's my personal opinion is that that's where it needs to start with that conversation, but with less talking and more listening. 
So where were we come? This is Amy. I wanted to lift up something that Rachel just said, and it's having the conversations that you don't want to have because they're uncomfortable. And I think it has to start small. I think it needs to start with people in your circle. We all have friends that we can talk to. And and starting off by really hearing what what they're saying, because then you can find a commonality. You can find a way to connect. And, and once you're connected, it's a lot easier to find a common truth. So do you go to the churches? Do you go, I mean, how, how do you bring these people together? I mean, how go do you... Go to family dinner. I so mean, like, you're... go to your family reunions or... Or talk to the person at pickup that's that's asking about about your T-shirt. Mm-hmm. Or um, I think we all have people in our lives that we or like you can set up your Facebook feed so that you don't have to look at the people from college that turned out to be so much not like you that it hurts your feelings to see their posts. <laughs> but maybe these are people that we need to you know appreciate how much they love their children. Or um, it's coming. So. I think we've got people in our lives that we can start with. Well, and I think that, you know, the LGBTQ plus community has really critical experience to share in this area. You have done this. Um, you opposed RIFRA in Indiana and you won. Um, you won marriage equality and you did that in a country that opposed these things. Uh, that opposed marriage equality not very long ago. Right. And you did it by getting out in the community, by talking to people, by having hard conversations with your families. And we look at that experience and we draw a lot um, from that example in, in our work with Moms Demand Action where we, we're having these conversations, we're forcing these conversations, we're demanding these conversations. They have to happen. And when we have these conversations with gun owners, a lot of times we find that we we do have that common ground. Most gun owners, again, support common sense policies. They're afraid uh, because of a narrative they've been fed that people want to take their rights away. People want to change their their way of life. People don't respect them. When you have a conversation with someone, you can really, you can cut through a lot of that and connect on a human level. And we are making progress. We have gun owners standing with us at the state house at this point. We have gun owners writing letters to the editor we have gun owners challenging the NRA leadership. And that's that's the yeah. way we're going to win. So how about just taking kind of a deep breath, breath and we're walking back to just the classroom, going back into the school and discussing about bullying. Um, and, you know, I guess we, we have our mental health specialist here. <laughs> and, and, and I guess talk about that because, you know, within, you know, within this article that we read from Facebook, it points out transgenders being kind of, you know, the, the reason for what's going on with all these killings that you would think if you're not educated or you're just listening to the talking heads that transgenders are going around shooting people. And, you know, and, and, and people go and, and run with it. So, you know, going back and, and, you know, I can see this, the conflicts that could start within, with, with the kids within the school that something like this, a parent reads, has that conversation with their, their, you know, their, their children. You have a transgender kid or, you know, a gay or bisexual or whoever they might be. And, and, and so we're blaming, you know, um, so where do we go on that sense of, of being able to, as a community, to articulate to, to our children, you know, how to how to communicate when, when bullying happens and who's being bullied and what this means. Well, it was interesting when I listened to that uh, Facebook post, um, it sounded like adults bullying 
kids to me. I didn't hear kids bullying kids. And and the line that sort of stuck out to me was this idea of kids not knowing which bathroom to use. And I thought, well, the kids know which bathroom to use. <laughs> it's the adults that get all hung up on it. And um, Because the kids have too many choices. Right, right. Well, there's that whole narrative. It's <laughs> also sort of nuts. But um, I think that if we can start in really listening to our it, it always comes back to listening but in listening to our kids even if we completely disagree even if we already know the answer because we're the adults and we're so smart um and honoring their sense of self and who they are and if we're doing that then we don't have the bathroom problems because we're already paying attention to their pronouns and to who they are so just having those conversations and, and so is that something your group works with as well? No? <laughs> uh, with with bullying? With the, yeah, with the bullying side because I think it's hand in hand of, you know, I mean, I don't know the whole story on this kid and it hasn't come out. I, I think little bits have, but. Not so much specifically with bullying. Um, we do have a campaign. Uh, it's called Be Smart. Um and there's a website for it, besmartforkids.org. And what this campaign does is it it has um, – basically it's it's geared for people with children and people who are gun owners and people who are living, as we all are, in this gun culture. And so it teaches you to ask when your children go over to a friend's house to ask the parents, do you own guns and are they kept safe in your home? And um, But one of the – the five corner points of this program um, deals with suicide, teen suicide, and how dangerous it is to have access to a gun, especially for a teenager dealing with depression and not even exhibiting signs of depression. You may not even know that your teenager, we all know how hormonal right. <laughs> it can be when you're a teenager and you come home and you have a bad day and and one really bad day and one unlocked gun right there, unfortunately – is one very bad choice. Right. And so we talk about that in our program. So it's not necessarily specifically bullying, but we do deal with the suicide aspect. So, and that's where I guess, you know, the, you know, I don't know, that's another group that takes care of that side of it. But I guess, you know, being able to, you know, bridge everything together in the sense of that, you know, there's not as many puzzle pieces that, you know, how do, how do we sit down and we talk about the bullying and we talk about both bullying, the adult bullying and the, the kids bullying. How do we recognize that side when there's a kid? I mean, she called the kid the weirdos, right? And, you know, we all had those in high school. Hello. And what, what do you, you know, I mean, <laughs> I don't even know I have the words for that as far as how do you, you know, meet that head on in an educational way of being able to, um, you know, help, help that person, you know, that, that, that gets lost in the fringes. And I think that's where we're, where it's lost, where you have these kids that don't have a connection that they, you know, when they were talking about this particular kid, the one that, you know, they said that he, uh, he was weird and he didn't have any friends and didn't talk and no, I kept away from him. So, you know, it seems like we're we're missing that giant gap and and we throw it back at the schools to be responsible for that side and i think that's what we have to kind of re change what how we think about this that this is a community effort and we can't you know i mean the schools are dealing with a lot of stuff and then on top of it they have all this to to deal with so and, and i think it's easier to point fingers and blame you know the superintendent do this the principal didn't do that the teacher but you know we don't take into 
you know, consideration, all the other stuff that's going on. And that's where I'm saying it's time for the community to come up with some solutions instead of the finger pointing. And so within your group, you know, you're doing all this awesome stuff. And, and where do you see this bridging? And how do you see that this expanding? Or, or is that not a place for you guys to, to be involved in? Or are you totally involved in that? And, and, and I think it starts, I mean, I would say it also starts small. It starts in very uh, small steps. It starts with asking if your child goes over to someone else's house to play, do you have a gun? Can I ask if it's locked up? If you have a teenager, does your teenager really know where that gun is? And have you separated the magazine from the gun? But here's my thing, is that everybody is saying that it's not the gun that kills people. It's the person that kills the, but, you know. But I'm saying if the gun, if you don't have access to the gun, then you're buying time. You're buying, if it's a three-day waiting period for um, a gun license, that teen could actually have sought help from a mental health professional, from a family. So you're buying that teen three days, which probably means that teen is going to live if you don't have access to the gun. Or if the gun is locked, two pieces of the gun are locked in two different parts and there's no access to it. So you're buying time. You're making it – you're bringing common sense into this. For instance, we are at preschools. You have to hang up your purse on a hook because imagine someone has a concealed carry – and someone in your church or your synagogue walks in and leaves their purse on the floor, and a toddler comes over. Now, a, a regular congregant doesn't even understand that. It wouldn't occur to them that a concealed carry, oh, yeah, they put their gun in their purse, and a child comes over and is rooting around because they think it's their mommy's purse, and an accident happens. When we have this conversation in our synagogue, this is why we don't allow weapons in our synagogue, because we can't guarantee the safety of every person in here. We want to make sure that there are, that if there is, there's no concealed guns there's no guns in the in the place so that there's no room for accidents so you know you have these conversations and i'm sure there are people that carry and they were shocked when we said this is why it's not only about mass shootings it's about accidents it's about suicides it's about domestic violence um you know we talk about mass shootings but we haven't mentioned chicago we haven't mentioned tulsa when children can't go outside of their home because there are guns the people spray up the place so the access to weapons is is really dangerous it's really bad for these kids that are traumatized so it's much it's much bigger and we talk about it only in the sense of mass shootings. I think we need to, to actually broaden the conversation and include those children that live in apartment complexes that can't go out to play or that need to be um, accompanied to their school. Um, so I think that we need to broaden the right, Definitely, definitely. But I think what hits home is, you know, it's just kind of the, the human nature is things that people can relate to. And people can relate sending their kids to school. And having that panic in your belly that they might not return or some something might happen. And, you know, so that, I guess, you know, drawing it back into to that attention of what, where, you know, what do we do, you know, as far as to, and that's what I'm, I guess I'm looking for is, and, and I'm not expecting you guys to have the answers <laughs> for this one, but, you know, I want the, the wheels to spin. It comes back to us being, stepping up and being the adults in the room. And addressing the problem, which is guns, the proliferation of guns. Um, 
you know, it's not the right response. So you're non-negotiable about guns. Guns. The proliferation of guns and the easy access to guns and the failure to keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. Yes. Okay. But but you know, I mean, I want to I want us to to think about you know the the kinds of responses that we're seeing and hearing around us, um, and what that tells our kids. You know, uh, we have school shootings, so our response is to step up security at schools. Our response is to teach our kids to be vigilant. I believe that was the response right here in Monroe County, that the letter that went out to parents encouraged them to remind their kids to be vigilant. Now, who can learn anything? Tell, tell me a little bit about the letter. I, I, I'm not quoting okay, it verbatim. Okay. I, I remember that word. Okay. Um, and it's not unique to MCCSC right. at all. It's, it's a national failure to come to reckoning with the fact that having to teach our children to run, hide, or fight is not normal. It's not normal. I guess, was it the teacher that said that America failed, that they were, um, you know, the school just had all of the the drills, they all knew what it was to do, they did everything that they were supposed to do to protect the children, and she said and they lost 17 lives um, doing everything right, and who failed, the system, the government, the school. And so it kind of, you know, taught, you know, bad. I guess what I keep toying is that, you know, is how do we... You know, again, you said, you know, individually that we talk to people, but we don't have time. <laughs> this is happening. We're 18, 13, I don't want to be misquote, um, shootings, which is a lot. One, you know, in 2018 is too many. Where do we go like today? Well, that's why some of the people that we're talking to are our legislators. I mean, we are up. Okay, at I want to hear about that. We are up at the state house here in Indiana. We're in state houses all across the country and we're in, in Congress. Um, talking to our legislators, um, demanding that they uh, do not pass bills that are dangerous, uh, supporting good bills when they come across the, the table. Um, this year in these elections, we're going to be asking candidates to outline their, their policies um, re- related to gun safety, and we're going to be mobilizing to support candidates who support gun safety, and we're going to be mobilizing to oppose candidates who don't. So, I mean, that's where the, the buck stops, right? We need to change. We need to um, to vote out officials who who are not responding to this, what is a crisis? Sounds like Moms Demand Action has quite a game plan that is starting to come into fruition. Excuse us for a few moments as we put this discussion on hold while we read off the weekly events. Coming up in Bloomington is the Backdoors 5th Anniversary Party, a celebration unlike any other. Doors will open at 8 p.m. and the music begins at 10. And the first 100 guests receive a backdoor swag bag. Also, Cardinal Stage presents Sex with Strangers, a unique comedic drama about desire, love, and literary stardom in the digital age on Friday, February 16th. The event will be held at the Ivy Tech John John Waldron Auditorium from 7.30 to 9.30 p.m. For more information, call 812-336-9300. Before we return to Blooming Out, we're going to listen to the song Inside the Box from Bloomington folk duo Lewis and Addison Rogers' album Shirts and Skins. (laughs) 
Inside this box, I'm like a clown. I've got a smile on. Turn upside down. Inside this box, you'd be so kind to leave your number, your number behind. Welcome back to Blooming Out. So we're going to continue the discussion, and I think we're going to talk a little more about bullying. Um, and uh, we'll kind of lead off with you. Yeah, this is Amy. I wanted to touch on um, the bullying piece and the, the part in that post about the weirdos and, um, and say that I uh, – first of all, I am 100% for legislation that keeps – our children safe uh, through uh, common sense measures. Um, I I want to make sure that we're really listening to each other, and and it starts with 
the adults listening to each other, but also listening to the kids um, and helping to prevent having those weirdos off to the side in the first place. And there is one resource that is that is a really great resource called livesinthebalance.org. Um, and this is a website started by Ross Green that just uh, really specifically outlines an approach for listening to kids, um, particularly behaviorally challenged kids. That's where that work started. Um, and they're working on a documentary about the kids that we lose in our school system through disciplinary action that isolates and, and doesn't doesn't pull them in to the sense of community. Because if you have a sense of community, you're not going to shoot them up. Right. So, you know, educating, you know, kids to kind of be pure mentors, you know, you know, have someone you know, a, a, that seems like that would be the, one of the more logical things is to get into the schools immediately or in the community centers and and train kids how to listen to one another when there is a kid sitting alone that – I saw something um, through Facebook. I'm sure it was and I can't remember the whole scenario. But it basically – this school, this was a kid, um, a student who um, noticed that all the, the, the kids would come. This was a school that uh, had a lot of transient kids. So they would come and they weren't connected with anybody. So during lunch, which is a really awkward time for a lot of teens, they sent alone. And they didn't have anybody there. And that's kind of – you're a made person if you've got a table full of people. And these people didn't have a table to go to. So they'd go off to the library. They'd go sit outside by themselves. And this – he was a football player, this you know young guy, and he saw what was going on. And he went and talked to the administration. And, and they came up with this plan that um, he would get his friends and they would go and be friends to these people. And build relationships. And, you know, and I think, yes, as adults, we have all these things that we're concerned about. The, we're going to fight back and forth about who gets to carry what and how shiny your gun is or whatever and, <laughs> and where you can take it and where you can't. But if we, you know, just take a deep breath and what can we do now? And it's things like that of, of having people go out and saying, let's, let's get the kids involved. You know, this, and, and this was a perfect example of this one stu- this student that, that killed these 17 people, that he was that loner. No one, he was weird. No one wanted to be around him. They didn't understand him. And, you know, these kids decided that we can bridge it. And then, you know, they did the, the story and talked about the kids that were touched by it. And it's things like that. And I think we've lost that as a community. You know, why, why, why doesn't this happen now? Or why didn't it happen when we were, or at least me, when I was growing up? That wasn't ever an issue. We had fights, but we didn't kill each other. You know, so what's so different versus, then and now, um, and and yes, no. <laughs> Does anybody want to jump in and kind of add to that? Um, well, the school shootings—we've got more guns. I mean, I, well, and I'm not. I'm so you, you think I'm, it's directly, I'm talking about listening to each other here, but it's right. obvious to me. That okay, okay. It's so many guns. So it does fall back I, to to this. Is that's where it is. It's not having that, a gun in the house increases your suicide risk, no matter what age you are. I mean, well, I guess not for a toddler. Maybe that would increase accident your accident risk. risk. But but if you're, shootings. you know, if you are suicidal and there's a gun in the house, then your risk factors go way up. And it, as a therapist, it it always scares me when I know that there's a gun in the house. And let's not forget that a lot of the mass shootings are carried out by people who are suicidal. Right. Mm-hmm. So the argument then is it's a mental health issue. It's not a gun issue. Except mm-hmm. right. Except though. So I, I want to stop the guns. This is Amy again. Um, but I, 
I don't see it happening if we if we can't listen to each other and if we can't and I I keep I've spent the whole day going back to this whole idea of listening as though I might be wrong and what that would look like um it would mean that I would listen it would mean that I would not jump in with my solution and that's hard for me on this issue cuz I feel like if I were in charge I could fix this um but but if I don't know what to do then I'm going to listen and I'm going to keep asking questions until I am really to the bottom of it. And I I have to believe that when we really get to the bottom of it, there won't be the sound bites from from either side and the viral hateful Facebook posts because we'll be sharing humanity. I think that's actually a great point, Amy. Uh, this is Alex speaking again. Um, because I think that's sort of the crux of the issue. Um, I think in sort of modern times, especially as, you know, the Internet and other technologies have proliferated, we have kind of increasingly isolated ourselves. Um, a lot of times communities now are sort of uh, a large mixture of other, you know, micro communities sort of existing amongst one another. And... It is both the challenge and I think the goal of a lot of people to kind of not allow these differences to gain the way of progress. And I think sort of the first two steps is really one uh, kind of practicing mindfulness Um, as individuals. uh, You know, these are incredibly trying events and very stressful and we all want to react and sometimes taking that moment, taking that breath, hearing other people out and then trying to understand what can be done to, uh, you know, ensure that our kids and we as a community are safe. Additionally, as Amy said, understanding the humanity of others. Um, I think Frankie's point earlier about the lunch group is sort of a great example of that. We oftentimes sort of get obsessed with the minutia of our own life and often do not recognize that life in it of itself is often a difficult journey, that everyone has trials and tribulations peaks and valleys. But to understand that and come with an open heart to individuals so that when they are feeling sort of the most tried, the most um, sort of beaten down, that they know they have a community, they have others to help lift them up and get them to a place where they can be successful and be a benefit, not just to their own like small community, but to everyone, to be that uh, sort of light that helps, you know, bring about beneficial change for everyone. Good point. Good point. I was talking to an individual today, and we were kind of discussing, of course, the guns. And when I went to school, um, a lot of the guys would have gun racks. And there would be two, three guns within the trucks. And there were a lot of trucks with guns in them. And at her school, there was um, guys, and, and not so much, I'm sorry, there weren't a lot of girls that usually drove around with guns in their trucks, but mostly the guys did. Um, but they were out there. I mean, we, you know, they were out there. They were loaded. 
bullets were inside the cab. Um, I, I can't ever remember it being an issue that, you know, somebody brought one of those in or threatened someone. I mean, I didn't hang out with a lot of those guys, <laughs> but I, they were my friends. I mean, I knew them. Um, but there was never an issue that I can recall in my school. I mean, the people might get, you know, all kinds of emails saying, well, I can tell you stories. Um, so and I, what's the big difference mm. from from that point to where we are now? And it might be the type of gun, um, the attitude of us parents. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's a lot, but, th- you know, that kind of resonated. And I was like, yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, guns were all over the place even back then. No, the guys didn't carry them on their sides, but they definitely had them in their trucks, and there definitely were bullets there. And we all went out to lunch and, you know, did whatever, and no one got shot. A very different gun culture has grown up over the past 20, 30 years than than we had. As you say, the guns have been a part of American culture for a long time, Um, but we haven't seen the rates of gun violence that, that we are seeing now. There has been... You know, so where's it? It's simming. Is it the video games? Is it the texting? Is it that? No, it's a very deliberate policy. Do you think it's the gun companies wanting to make more money to get more guns out to get more people with it that don't deserve? And fear sells guns, and they have exploited people's fears, their fears for their own safety, their fears for their family's safety, their fears for their rights, their fears for their identity. Uh, and you have people who are insisting that they have to have their guns at the ready in the home, for example, and they can't afford to keep them locked up. Well, you know, the facts don't lie. And the stats will, you know, the stats show that you're much more likely to have your child shoot himself or herself or another child. You're much more likely to lose a child to suicide. You're much more likely likely to see a domestic violence situa- situation escalating into um, violence, injury, even death. So, I mean, the the sense of being under assault, uh, being under siege, that people seem to feel um, when they're talking about their gun rights is something new. This sense that people feel that they have to carry their gun with them everywhere because they might be attacked at any moment, or that somebody's trying to get into their house and steal their children, or what have you. Um, if you look, I mean, go to Kroger and look at the magazines on the rack um, and look at what's on the cover of the magazine. Um, you'll be shocked. It's it's all about this sense that you should feel of that you might be attacked at any time. And this is, again, where I really object to the response of our schools, that they're sowing this fear among our students, among our among our kids, this fear of each other, this fear of the outsider. And yes... These gun shooting, you know, these shootings are happening, so there's a, there's some basis for fear. But we have to have a broader response to that than that. We can't respond with by by showing our fear to our kids. We have to respond by showing our love to our kids by creating an environment in which they care for each other, they care for their communities, um, they know they can see if a kid is feeling alone and left out and violent on their on their social media pages, and they can feel that they can reach out to the adults in their community and get a response. Right. So I I guess – go. Oh, I wanted to say I keep thinking about um, a a trauma-informed community as we're talking about fear. And I I do think maybe – I don't know. I think it's – 
I feel more fear and I see more fear. I don't have, I can't pull up a study to say it. So I'm a little bit nervous, but, um, but if, if we're, if we're approaching this from a trauma informed perspective, then one of the things we're trying to do is to keep people in, in the, the green zone or the calm part of their brain. And, and if we've, and we're, we're seeing all the, the adverse childhood experiences research and, that lots of people are easily triggered out of their uh, calm zone. And and this fear is, it seems logical that this fear would be pushing people mm-hmm. uh, sky high all the time. Up to the point that it genuinely impacts uh, state, local, and federal policy. Um, one thing I can't help but sort of think about was uh, sort of the strange coincidence between the shooting yesterday and the discussion that was held at City Hall where uh, Bloomington Police Department were, uh, you know, having a town hall meeting discussing the purchase of a Lenco Bearcat, which is a, uh armored personnel carrier. Um, it is... As they want to make very clear, it is not a militarized tank, but they need to have a vehicle that not only can deal with a weapon, but can deal with a high-powered automatic rifle with armor-piercing bullets. Not not something that is, you know, a hunting rifle or a handgun, but basically a weapon modified to meet the needs of a military sort of operation nearly, um, minus perhaps a magazine extension, which is kind of unbelievable to me um, that we had these two very sort of shocking discussions mm-hmm. um, that he, I, I understand from our decision makers and our policy makers and our school administrators the idea that we can't simply uh, change the culture. It can't simply uh, – we, we can't necessarily wake up the next day and see the, these issues resolved. And we have to do what we can to protect those, not just who are the most vulnerable, but those who uh, do what they can to help minimize these incidents of violence. But at the same time – does that help or does that kind of sow these seeds of fear? Does it create that sense that America is becoming more militarized? It, your your local police department has an armored personnel carrier, you know? Well, I I would hate to be that person who, you know, sees that. I mean, it's terrifying in a sense and I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure they're going to do all that they can to Make it as, um, you know, community friendly as possible, but there, I cannot help but think that there are certain parts that frighten, you know, all aspects of the different parts of Bloomington, South Central Indiana, and the greater community of the U.S. So my question is, why can't we have this conversation about what kind of weapons are allowed? Since when are assault rep- uh, weapons allowed? Why would we even have those? That's not personal protection. That's not Second Amendment. Um, after both the Hungerford and the Dumblane in Scotland 
Both of those, the, the, the conservative government in England and Scotland took on the question of gun rights, and they're the ones that tackled it. It came from the government, and that's what's so interesting. And it was the conservative government that said we've got to have a public debate about this. So what's so and different about our country versus England? Money. I think it's about money. I think it's all about who's giving money to these candidates. And I think it's about the manufacturers and the gun rights and the NRA. Um, it's a very different system of voting, you know, and 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 um, candidacy. So, it's, so you guys well, aren't necessarily about getting rid of guns altogether. No, we You're, no. Moms Demand Action supports the Second Amendment. Okay, we just feel that through common sense regulations, we can help reduce the epidemic of gun violence that our country is currently facing. Right. But I mean, going back to what Dee Dee was saying. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is why the November elections are so very important because we learned from the last elections uh, just this past November that gun sense candidates can win. For the first time, we did not have candidates who were afraid of coming out and saying, we need common sense gun policies. We need to change the things that are making guns out of control. And because for so long, the NRA has been, I mean, they have a ton of money and they pay a ton of money into these political campaigns. And so politicians are afraid to go against the NRA because they can ruin a politician's career. And so we had gun sense candidates come out and say, no, this isn't right. We need to make a change. And here's how we can make a change. And they got elected. And that is so heartening to us. And that is huge. And so this upcoming November... We can do more of that. And we have been letting our Indiana legislators know we are paying attention to what you're doing. And if we don't like what you're doing, how we are, don't have to vote When for you. you have those face-to-face meetings with the legislators, how, how is that going? I mean, are, are, are they meeting you face-to-face or is this more email? And Some of them. <laughs> they don't really have a choice. Right. We, we show up and uh, – and are, are they quiet? They li- they listen, or do they try to? Do you feel like you're you're accomplishing with at least the legislators now that are? In well, put office? it this way: in in the last session, our legislators wanted to repeal repeal our system for uh, requiring a permit to carry a loaded handgun in public. They were debating that issue, and some of them uh, proposed that bill for this session, and we showed up in force to every one of the hearings that they held. Um, we work together with law enforcement. All of the major uh, law enforcement associations showed up as well and opposed it. Um, we mobilized hundreds and hundreds of calls into the offices of all of the legislators on the committee, and that bill failed. Awesome. So they, they're learning that they don't have an option. They have to listen to us. You know, there are very small steps that different cities are taking. Rochester is taking a very, very small step. They're buying back guns, and they can't buy back all the guns. But what they, what the mayor says is 2,000 less guns on the streets of Rochester means maybe we'll save three lives. Maybe we'll save four lives. And maybe that teen that gave us a shotgun for $75, maybe he'll go out and buy him some, himself something nice. You know, th- there are cities that are having small, very small steps just to get guns. So Bloomington is a very vocal community, as we all know, um, and people are very passionate on what they're doing. So 
concerning the gun rights and, and, and doing, you know, as far as what Bloomington is doing. Do you see that being a need that we do something similar to Rochester where we, uh, you know, we buy back guns or do you think that that Bloomington needs to do more? You know, I, I would love to see that. I would love to see just less guns. You have a broken gun, bring it in. You have a handgun you're not using, bring it in. You have an assault rifle. These are guns that this is no questions asked. Um, they can trace the guns back to to crimes that might have been com- committed with these guns. Um, I have no problem with them doing that. Think if that APC, if that armored personnel carrier, if they don't buy it with that quarter of a million well, dollars, it's bought already. It's bought already. <laughs> they could have used that money to fund something like a right. buyback program. But realistically, I'm, Bloomington doesn't have the authority to do that under Indiana law. So it all goes yeah. back to the state house. Okay. We have to go to the state house to, okay. to change our state laws. We have to go to Congress to change our national laws. Right. And then programs like that are feasible and, um, right. And, and, and I think, you know, again, having kind of the, you know, the both sides of going out dealing with the legislators, getting, you know, mm-hmm. your voices heard and, and, and making changes that way, as well as, you know, something, getting the community more involved in doing something instead, again, the finger pointing and, and the talking right. where, you know, I was thinking within the school and I had a situation just recently with one of my kids that told me about a kid that was being bullied. Now I don't know the whole story. He's a teenager. So, you know, I'm getting bits and pieces of stuff that I'm trying to make sense of. But basically that this kid's getting gets bullied a lot at school he's um there's been a couple fights he went and talked to the principal um about it and i guess this kid's parents as well from what i heard that they didn't feel like they were really getting any um anything accomplished through that um my son got a text saying that there was going to be a fight and want to know if he wanted to participate in it my son came and talked to me about it we (laughs) talked about what that was about and what the replications of that would be the fight happened my son was not involved However, um, the kid that was being bullied, they were calling, he was a, you know, I don't want to give too much, um, ended up being suspended. And, and, and I guess no voice. So, and, and, and again, I don't know all the other pieces to it, so I don't want to throw guilt on anyone's side. But it's like, you know, outside of the school community of having a go-to for people that could be a liaison between the families and the kids and the schools to be able to communicate, you know, hey, we got a bully going on. We're representing this kid. And it's a kind of like a CASA, a court-appointed special, court special advocate that we could go in where, you know, the school's not necessarily in charge of that. Take some of the weight off that. Give the, the kid some services, a place where the kid's not going to be afraid, the parents aren't going to be afraid, and the school appreciates and and I think those are the things with groups like that you have of getting that information out there and starting and, and I'm sure you're doing a lot of this at the base as far as and then working up at the top um, at that and that's where you know that as far as action and things that I think today of what we can do besides which are very important the phone calls the camping out in front of legislators' doors mm-hmm. to writing letters and things like that are all just as important. Absolutely, Frankie. And it looks like we're out of time today, but before we go, we want to thank our lovely guests, Rachel, <laughs> Rachel Guglielmo, <laughs> Courtney Daly, Dee Dee Curler, and Amy Mackis. Additionally, thank you to all of our listeners and volunteers who make this possible. Um, Bloomington Now is produced by Alex Ash- Ashkins. 
I'm giving you credit for this one. <laughs> Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Jess Grubb is our engineer um, for Blooming Out. And WFHB, I'm Frankie Preslav. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of Blooming Out. Every Thursday from 6 to 7 p.m. on WFHB. Volunteer-powered community radio for South Central Indiana.